The Grazadio School of Business and Management at Pepperdine University proudly presents the Dean's Executive Leadership Series. This podcast invites top business practitioners and thought leaders to share their view on the real world of business. Hello and welcome. My name is Rick Gibson. I'm the Associate Vice President for Public Affairs here at Pepperdine University. And I'm joined today by Dr. Linda Livingstone, who is the Dean of the Grazadio School of Business and Management. Welcome, Linda. Well, thanks, Rick. It's a pleasure to be here today, and we're looking forward to the series this year. Well, as I've been thinking about it, this uh, series, I, I guess, is in its ninth year. Is that right? That's correct. It's really hard to believe we've been doing it that long, but it's been an amazing series with some really fabulous speakers through the years. They really have been, and I've just been struck by some of the folks that have been a part of this uh, this program. And as I look at the lineup that you have this year, it's just a very impressive thing uh, to to offer your students and, and our listening audience. Uh, tell me, Linda, what is, what is so important about a series like this for your students at the Grazadio School? Well, we think this is really important uh, on several levels. First, it really exposes our students to significant business leaders. And so they're able to attend these events, listen to these speakers, and really think deeply about what they're learning in class and how that really plays out in the real world. Um, but I also think these individuals bring not just sort of the business perspective, but they also oftentimes in these events share some about sort of the personal side of their life and how right. they integrate that with what they do professionally. So it really does help the students see uh, both the personal and professional side of some really successful business leaders around the country and around the world. Yeah, well, certainly it's uh, it's really great access to some of these great minds that are in business. Well, tell us uh, about today's speaker, the one who's going to kick off uh, this year's series. Mm-hmm. Well, we start our series this year with Richard Gudis, who is the Chief Operating Officer of Herbalife. And I think some will be interesting on a couple of levels. I mean, clearly, um, there's a lot of health-conscious people out there and a lot of concern about what we eat and, and how we live our lives. And so I think that piece of it will be rather interesting. But Richard is uh, was Chief Financial Officer when Herbalife went public. So from a right. uh, sort of an organizational development and the growth of a company, he'll be able to speak to what it was like to take that company public. Um, and then he's over all their worldwide operations and human resources and information technology. So just from an operating perspective of a large global company, I think we'll learn a lot from his experiences. Well, certainly. Well, we really do look forward to your conversation with uh, Richard. And so let me invite our listeners just to sit back and relax and to enjoy this interview with Richard Gudis. Today, we're here with Richard Gudis, who is the Chief Operating Officer of Herbalife. Richard, we're so glad to have you here for the first of our Dean's Executive Leadership Series events for the year. Thank you very much, Linda. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, uh, Richard, you have been with Herbalife since 2004, where you started as the Chief Financial Officer, and now you're the Chief Operating Officer. Um, Tell us a little bit about Herbalife. I'm sure some of our listeners are very familiar with the company. Others may sort of have heard of it but not know a lot about it. So tell us a little bit about Herbalife and then kind of your path to the position that you're in now. Uh, at Herbalife. Sure. Um, Briefly, Herbalife started in 1980 here in Los Angeles, an entrepreneur who had a passion and a commitment to um, help people lose weight. So it was sort of ahead of its time, um, but it grew from 1980 um, uh, through 2000 to over a billion dollars. And unfortunately, he had an untimely death at uh, 44 years old, which led to a lot of um, turmoil in the company, Mm -hmm. five different CEOs between the founder and the person who's our CEO today, Michael Johnson. Michael was recruited in by some private equity folks who had taken the company private. 
Uh, Michael then built his team, and I was part of that team. Uh, joined the company in 2004 as a CFO with the intent to take the company public again. Uh, the intent was to take it public in 12 to 18 months. We wound up taking it public in about six months after I wow. joined. So we'll was, talk about that a little bit trial, later. <laughs> trial by fire for sure. Uh, but I, I think the way to, for people to think about Herbalife is we really sit at the intersection of health and wealth. Um, health is very important. Uh, people in, in mature markets like ourselves, developed markets, want to live as healthy as they are today for the rest of their life. Uh, obesity is a global epidemic going on around the world and plaguing many of societies, uh, putting extreme cost pressures on many large governments. Um, and as I travel around the world, we operate in 78 countries, there's obesity in markets that you don't think that there's obesity. Um, China, for example, 5% of the population is obese, which is, is shocking to us. And that's a lot of people if you think of 5% of that population. Absolutely. Um, and then on the flip side is our, our business model is a direct seller. Uh, we go to market um, through individuals, um, uh, if you will, non-employees. So the opportunity today, not only in developed markets like ours, but in emerging markets for people to earn a little extra income, uh, full-time income mm -hmm. with their same language and skill set is extremely important. So we really feel like we're at this sort of Camelot, as we call it, right. um, with the intersection of health and wealth. So tell us a little bit about your path to Herbalife, just in terms of your personal sort of leadership path uh, before Herbalife and then since you've been at the company. Sure. Uh, I, I look at my career and I just think I've been very blessed. Mm -hmm. uh, I've had great experiences. Um, throughout the entire time, great mentors mm -hmm. uh, that sometimes I didn't know it were pulling me along or pushing me along. Um, but effectively, it started back uh, with an accounting degree at the University of Massachusetts. I'd gone to school for on a wrestling scholarship mm -hmm. um, and um, brought me from Long Island to Massachusetts. Graduated from UMass um, and tried Wall Street. Found out I didn't like the uh, the cutthroat environment of Wall Street, and then I went to work at United Technologies in their financial management training program at Pratt and Whitney, and that's really where I, I'll say I started my foundation uh, along my career path. So I went through a rotational program in accounting, um, built from that into financial planning and analysis. Again, my first mentor in my life kind of plucked me off the training program, seeing this uh, young, maybe talented. I don't know. I think people thought I was more talented maybe than I was, but. Um, uh, and took me off the training program early into financial planning and analysis, which is where sort of all the hot shots and very analytical folks were. And that gave me rise in the company, it gave me exposure to a lot of people, a lot of people who then became senior executives throughout the corporation. Um, I rose from um, being a, a trainee to a staff to an analyst. Then a few years later, I was actually asked to move to Connecticut and run the financial management training program, which is really my first human resource exposure. Right. So it was Pratt Whitney's intent to groom me, mm -hmm. get me out of hardcore finance, and groom me in how it, what it takes to, to recruit talent, to retain talent, um, performance reviews, mm -hmm. and mentor young people. Mm -hmm. uh, at the same time, work throughout the politics of the organization of people wanting that talent and trying to steal the talent. Uh, Etc. So uh, that led me to my first leadership role um, back in finance in a turnaround situation mm -hmm. uh, at our overhaul and repair business. It was historically um, a warranty shop mm -hmm. and it was changing to a higher margin aftermarket shop. So I went there and it was a great turnaround as, from an employee standpoint and a, and a business that led me to other assignments mm -hmm. throughout Pratt Whitney. Um, again, all moving up and really buying that mentors mm -hmm. pulling me up. I left Pratt & Whitney for a great opportunity uh, with a company called Sunbeam, mm -hmm. small appliance maker, 
Uh, about a year later, uh, a guy named Al Dunlap fell into my life. Mm-hmm. I like to tell people... <laughs> that was an interesting experience. I like I'm to sure. tell people I was six foot four and had black hair at the time. Um, and Al, at the time, his nickname was Chainsaw Al. Right, exactly. And like with anybody, you, learn, you can learn a lot from anybody, good or bad. And um, uh, I, about a year and a half, two years after he joined the company, uh, I left the company uh-huh. and sort of published and written what, what happened. But... Um, we did a lot of great things, but also there was a lot of bad. And uh, mm-hmm. it's sort of time when you gut check your values and what's important to you in life. And um, I moved on. And mm-hmm. I found myself as the VP of Finance and Investor Relations at a, a NASDAQ 100 company called Rexall Sundown, mm-hmm. nutrition company. And I love nutrition. Um, I rose from that position to the chief operating officer. Then we wound up merging with GNC, ran those two companies. Um, we sold that company. And... Um, landed my way towards Herbalife. That's so that's great. sort of the, 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 the career path, if you will. An interesting path from aerospace to uh, wellness and uh, health and healthy eating. And yeah, everything. but I think the thing with me is that every every area I was, I loved the company. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up in the aerospace business. My dad was in that industry. So I just loved it, and I had a passion. I was a real shop rat. Um, you know, one of the reasons I think I'm here is um, when I met Kay Rose, and I had mentioned one time that I had flew, flew all the way to China just to meet with somebody on a, on an investment. Mm-hmm. And I got on the plane that next night and, and flew back. And she was taken by that. And I said, but in this world, you have to get out and know what's the real core mm-hmm. of the business. So when I was a youngster, I used to go out on the shop floor and talk to people. Uh, if I was analyzing their business, I wanted to talk to the people that were doing the business. Um, and, and again, you know, when you're a finance person, back in the day in the 80s, nobody came out and talked to people. And so I was embraced. Mm-hmm. I was welcomed. And people were like, boy, finance people have never been out here, never cared about what we did. They just told us we couldn't do it you know, or, or couldn't spend that money. Um, so that, that sort of has mm-hmm. followed me along the way. And um, I think that's what's sort of special mm-hmm. is, is you have to have a passion for your business. We were talking about when you came into the company, uh, they'd hired a new CEO. They had five CEOs before that. So obviously coming in as a CFO and then transitioning to the COO, there's a whole piece of bringing stability to a company And after they've been through kind of a tumultuous time. Talk about what that was like and how you all, you personally and then the leadership team, sort of uh, focused the strategy of the company and sort of brought it back to where you wanted it to be after going through kind of all the changes and and, uh, CEOs that they'd had prior to the leadership team you were on? Sure. There were really a a few key steps that Mm -hmm. we took, and I think it was um, the the combined backgrounds of a lot of different executives, most of whom had come from Disney. Mm -hmm. Uh, Michael was the president of Disney um, International, and he brought a lot of his uh, colleagues or past colleagues with him. But the the first thing was to, to develop a strong team. Uh, historically, Herbalife was effectively a small family company uh, headed up by an entrepreneur, um, and it didn't have, I'll say, that professional management. At the right. time, they were operating in about 45 countries. Um, so number one was build a team, build a world-class team that could grow the business. Number two was uh, establish confidence, establish confidence in the management team, establish confidence in um, our distributor organization that drives uh, our company, and establish confidence amongst our investors. Initially, it was the private equity investors, but then very quickly after I came on board, it was the public investors. Um, The third was have a strategy. Have a strategy and, and think with a really big paintbrush, if you will. Paint a big picture, almost very aspirational or dreamlike state, and point people in that direction. Um, next was have some key financial metrics, uh, objectives that hold people accountable, um, both for recognition and reward. 
uh, but also for us to know when we had to deviate and, and change course. Uh, and then the last step was um, celebrate and be a cheerleader. Mm-hmm. Um, we have, since I've been on board, we've almost tripled the size of the business. We've more than quadrupled the, the earnings. Um, we have a lot to celebrate, and I think we do a very good job at that recognition and reward of our people and our distributors, and um, that's been a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. So talk a little bit about the, <clears throat> the distribution model and the direct marketing model that you use around the world. You mentioned that briefly as well. Um, how do you manage that around the world in such diverse cultures? And, and then I'd like you to also expand just a little bit on sort of the entrepreneurial piece of that and sort of the economic development piece, particularly in, in some of the developing economies in the world where that can be an important piece of what they're contributing to the region that they're in. So, sure. So think about um, direct selling. Think about it almost like the automobile industry. For example, Ford may manufacture the car, but the person that you deal with is, um, is a salesperson at a local dealership. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so there's, I'll say, a multi-level of commissioning. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. They maybe get a commission on that particular car. They may get an additional commission because it was the fourth car of the week. Right. Or it might be the the only yellow car sold in the week. So there's a lot of different commissions and structures, and um, that simply is sort of how a, a direct seller works. So with us, our entire sales force is independent. Um, we rely on that entrepreneurial spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, the biggest thing that, that we look for is, as a management team, is providing the strategic direction or the umbrella, if you will. A lot of that is a confidence umbrella, making sure that when they know when they want product, it's available. Mm-hmm. If it's innovation that is needed, it's available. Uh, when they call to the call center, the phones are answered. If they come in through the Internet, the Internet works. Um, that when their paychecks are supposed to arrive, they arrive. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really confidence marketing, if you will, between management and the distributors. And then the distributors, it's, it's all localization. Mm-hmm. Um, the best thing I think about Herbalife is that it's just think of like small little um, Labor Day parties or uh, Fourth of July parties in your neighborhood. They're all different. Um, they're all unique to that person's organization or family or extended mm-hmm. family. Um, and that's the beauty, I think, of Herbalife is that this thing just survives in 78 markets, mm-hmm. and it's similar but not the same in every market. Mm-hmm. So how do you <clears throat> deal with that sort of the differences across those markets? I mean, it's it's such a large mm-hmm. company, so global. Uh, we were talking earlier before we started the podcast about all the places you've been around the world in the last mm-hmm. few months. Um, so how do you sort of make those decisions about how to – uh, make things local versus what you do that's sort of globally done the same way across those different markets? That's a great question. I'll, I'll try to answer that in, in a few different um, aspects. Number one, what's consistent about the business, yeah. the commission structure, mm-hmm. um, and the mechanism at which you earn in the company is consistent. So whether you're here in Malibu or you have somebody, maybe it's a relative or someone you met that's in uh, Buenos Aires mm-hmm. or Sao Paulo or Paris, Everybody earns the same way. We don't have different commission plans or structures in, in, in the countries. So it's very easy for you to run a global country because it's one, one language. Right. So the business language is common. The commission structure, which drives the incentive, is common. Uh, the next phase is we, we basically have four core product categories. Uh, weight management is mm-hmm. our largest category, 63% of the business. Targeted nutrition, um, sports and energy, and, and outer care. So we don't have a lot of um, odd product lines. For mm-hmm. example, when I was at GNC, we didn't sell uh, little rock fountains, but at Christmas they always seemed to be on the shelf at GNC stores, mostly at the franchisees right. who had that flexibility. 
We don't do that in our distributor organization. Okay. And distributors only earn by selling Herbalife products. So they're only motivated to sell Herbalife supply product. So uh, that's, a, that's a, the second. And then the third, I think, is, and this is where we do have flexibility as it gets to be very local in the market. In most countries, it's Herbalife staff that runs Herbalife distribution centers mm-hmm. and call centers and sales and marketing uh, liaison, if you will. But there are some markets where our local touch point might be a third-party provider. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very consistent. The feel is the same. They would have Team Herbalife shirts. You wouldn't know it's a third-party provider. Um, so we do go to markets mm-hmm. slightly different, um, and that's sort of where it varies. Mm-hmm. So we have alumni and students listening to the podcast, <clears throat> many of whom would like to work in large global companies and might think that sounds like a really interesting and glamorous lifestyle to do that. So tell us what like a typical week of your life is uh, and how you might spend your time and how you might focus your time. Um, not, and I don't know if there's a typical week in your yeah, life Yeah, I was just going to so start with that. That the wrong way to word the question. But. <laughs> uh, and I think that's what's exciting, yeah. quite honestly, about um, being in a, a large global corporation <laughs> that truly has feet on the ground around the world. Uh, Pratt Whitney was a global corporation, but everything was shipped FOB, Connecticut. Right. And you had some tech reps or something in the field, but effectively it was a Connecticut-based, driven mindset mm-hmm. company. Herbalife contrary. Um, 80% of our sales are done outside the U.S. 80% of our employees are outside the U.S. Forget the distributors, just our employees of 5,000 people, 4,000 are outside the U.S. So we are very global and we're very local in the marketplace. Um, So a typical day, a typical week, um, it it really, for me, it's, it's a combination of making sure that we're doing the right thing. So it's, I have weekly reports I look at, uh, that are very um, mathematical, mm-hmm. back orders, inventory, out of stocks, sure. R&D projects. I have a lot of different statuses uh, with certain key leaders. So it's sort of keeping my fingers on the pulse. Mm-hmm. And usually that's my Monday. Okay. That way it gives me the rest of the week if I have to course correct or, or get on a plane and go somewhere. Um, it, it gives me that and it gives other people the chance as well to plan and, and execute the rest of the week. Mm-hmm. So the next week we've hopefully corrected that right. situation. The, as we get into the week, we typically have um, then more um, more tactical meetings. Mm-hmm. Those could be anything from product development. So every two weeks we have a product development mm-hmm. status where we, we status over 300 R&D projects uh, worldwide that will launch this mm-hmm. year or in the next coming 12 months, uh, right down to where's the label, where we would label, and, and labels vary by, by region, by country, et cetera. Um, there's mentoring. Uh, so typically I'll try to have lunch with someone in the business, um, either a colleague or somebody uh, at a lower level in the organization, and just try to share you know, and, and understand and listen to what's going on in the business. Um, probably half the time I'm traveling, mm-hmm. so a typical week might be I'm out of the office. But um, when I go to markets, I typically try to spend a lot of time listening to people in the field. I felt like um, when I was a young person looking up, I always felt like people didn't pay enough attention to people in the lower part of the organization. So these are sort of like my little seeds along the way or breadcrumbs to remember where I came from and make sure that I listen to people in the organization. And um, I hope I do a good job of that. I can always do a better job. But So I spend a lot of time listening. Mm -hmm. I spend a lot of time uh, thinking. Uh, reading mm-hmm. uh, about our industry, where we're going, um, the pressures on our industry, whether it's technology and the shifts and changes in technology or, or human resources and talent, talent management not only here but around the world. Um, so it's more probably of a strategic 
course that I, I carry throughout the, the course of a typical week. Um, but it can be very tactical, especially when, when it's called for. Yeah. So you mentioned uh, sort of sourcing all the different research and development that's out there in the space. So there's an awful lot going on in kind of the nutrition and weight loss space. So do you do your own R&D? Do you source it with other places, or is there some combination? And how do you sort of decide which paths to go down on new products and everything? How do you make choices along those lines, given that there's so much going on, especially when you start talking worldwide and all the potential options there are, given that we sort of think about nutrition and weight loss probably very differently in different parts of the world? Uh, absolutely. Um, I think we think of R&D as small R, big D. So we don't really do clinical science okay. and clinical studies on vitamin C or vitamin E. We, we leave that to people like Linus Pauling, who did mm -hmm. clinical research on vitamin C. Right. But what we do is the big D, so it's development. Mm -hmm. So what can we combine um, within uh, categories? So maybe we take vitamin C, zinc, and echinacea, uh -huh. create a product out of that, and say best defense for improving or maintaining a healthy immune system. Mm -hmm. So it's more around the development. Again, most of our business is weight loss. Most of that weight loss business is in the, in the form of a meal replacement. So that is our core mm -hmm. foundational business. Um, one of the big things we're doing right now is we're getting more vertical. Um, up through 1980, the company was 100% outsourced of all their product. Today, we manufacture about 30 to 35% of our business. Our goal is to have probably 60 to 80% of our business done in-house. Uh, we have a, a strategy called Seed to Feed which we want to understand right from the field where those botanicals were grown mm -hmm. or that soy um, or the tea or the aloe, mm -hmm. what field that was grown, all the way through which manufacturing facilities they were processed in, what quality standards they were produced to, what temperature the environment they were contained in, whether they were on cargo ships or in distribution mm -hmm. centers, until it was put in the hands of that distributor. And that's the confidence marketing that we try to provide right. to our distributors about the quality and care of our, sure. of our products. So you've talked a lot about, I sort of sprinkled throughout a lot of what you've talked about, you've sort of noted different values that are important to you. So I'm going to sort of ask you to consolidate those just a little bit. Uh, in the business school, I mean, our mission is, we talk about our mission being to develop value-centered leaders and advance responsible business practice. So as a business leader, what are, you know, two or three or four kind of core values for you that are sort of lines in the sand that help you make decisions and sort of help guide you as a leader? Sure. I think first and foremost, it's integrity. Mm -hmm. um, I think people um, will follow people of integrity. People want to work with people who have high integrity and create an environment and culture of high integrity. Um, I like to call our, the grouping of values family values. So they're very simple, mm -hmm. right? Care for people more than you care for yourself or care for your employees like you care for your own children. And I think people feel that. When they feel the care you give them, they'll give that care back to you. Um, and it's sort of that tenfold kind of concept, right? right? Uh, it's returned uh, on uh, time and time again. Um, I think um, achievement is very important as, as core competencies. Um, we cannot, and you see it day and day, right, um, with borders closing, you cannot continue to do what you're doing today and expect to be successful tomorrow. And I think that that's hard to drive into people. Um, but when you travel around the world, uh, I remember the first time I came back from China, I came back scared, scared for my children and, and their future to think how hard people are working over in China without a lot of the issues that we see here, socially driven, if right. you will. Um, and, and all I said to my children is, you should learn Chinese. My daughter's actually learning Mandarin, so I'm kind of <laughs> well, I'm glad to hear that of, advice. <laughs> she's, she is way ahead of the game. Um, and, and you see that on a global basis. Um, 
it, listen, it, there's no better country in the world than America. Uh, there's no better, you, know, you kiss the ground every time you come back because we have so much and we're so fortunate. And people envy, are very envious of what mm-hmm. we have in the U.S. But, you know, so much of it is, even our, our, our country's values, right? But for a company, it's, it's honesty, it's sure. integrity, uh, it's caring for people, it's mentoring people, um, have fun. Mm-hmm. You know, one of our core values at Herbalife is we have fun. So having a joke right in the middle of a very serious discussion is good to, to break the tension. Um, I think one of the most special things about our values, and it's really in our culture, is uh, we strive for a no political uh, environment. And that is very sacrosanct, and I think that's what makes us extremely unique in companies that I've been involved with. Um, but it's sort of just a unique chemistry that has come together amongst the current uh, senior executives where everybody's, number one, extremely confident in their roles and their abilities. Number two, know that other people aren't trying to undercut them, but they're here to nurture them and support them. We all travel so much that we have to have that reliance on Mm -hmm. other people to have our backs as we travel and and run this global business. But I think that if you break down, you know, why we are so successful is, number one, we we share our values publicly. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have um, annual performance reviews that drive and reinforce and reward people who are adhering to those values and that value system. And so we we have them on our badges. We have them in every office you go into, and they're out there. So you can subscribe to say, yes, I want to work in a company that has those values. And I think when you look up and look at the executives, you can say, they're leading the way. They're, they're, they are uh, a, a great example of those values. So that as, an, as a leader, as I sort of get to the tail end of my career, I feel really good about what we're doing. Well, so I'm going to conclude with this question. Have you give us some healthy living advice? Okay. <laughs> so you work for a company that focuses on nutrition and weight loss and healthy living. So what advice would you give to our listeners that will help them live a healthier uh life than uh, they might be living right now. Any, so, any advice for the, the listeners today? So the first one is desire. It has to start with desire. So I can speak, uh, you can add them a book on a diet, but if you don't have the desire or to, to improve, you're never going to. So nothing will work in my mind. And there will never be a magic mm-hmm. pill to make this happen. Uh, we, we like to say have a healthy, active lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, for example, a typical day for me is I'm up at 5 o'clock in the morning. I'm on the road at 5.30. I'm in the gym by a little after 6 mm-hmm. o'clock. And I work out almost every single morning. Uh, I have uh, an Herbalife shake after I work out. And that's my breakfast. That's my healthy start. Um, at lunch, depending, a lot of times I'm working through lunch, so I'll have another shake at lunch. And then I'll have a decent meal at night. So I've been 185 pounds uh, since I've gotten out of college uh-huh. 20-odd years ago. Um, so I think it's, it's a lifestyle. It's a mindset. But most importantly is you have to want to do it. Um, and if you have a partner, uh, whoever that partner is, right. whether it's a colleague or it's a spouse that wants to do it with you, that absolutely helps. Um, it's right in front of you. Uh, it's very easy to do, but at the same time, extremely difficult to adhere to. It takes a lot of discipline to do it. And I think you're right. Having someone that you do it with makes it so much easier to hold each other accountable. There's an inverse correlation between the things of gaining weight and losing weight, right? It's very easy to gain weight uh-huh. because it's lack of discipline. And the correlation, right? It's, 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 there's no correlation between losing weight and, and you know having tremendous discipline uh, to lose weight. That's true. But uh, you know, look at the big healthcare cost mm-hmm. of this country. And I, I heard on CNBC about six months ago, there's a gentleman that wanted to become the healthcare czar. He thought he could right. save the U.S. a trillion dollars a year. That's huge. You know, those are the costs related to uh, people being overweight. Mm-hmm. Two weeks ago. Um, the Red Cross uh, put out a communication that said more people died last year from uh, the causes of being overweight than being malnourished. Wow. 
Now that's a sad state mm-hmm. on a global basis. Um, so that's why at Herbalife, as an executive Herbalife, we, are, we feel that it's a Camelot period with this intersection mm-hmm. of health and wealth and this obesity epidemic, unfortunately, that's going on around the world. We like to say everywhere there's a Kentucky Fried Chicken, there's an opportunity for someone to be very successful in that marketplace. <laughs> well, and with all the debate about health care and health care costs, clearly doing more on the prevention side and the healthy living side would be one of the biggest things we could do in this country and around the world to actually help manage health care costs and reduce the need for really expensive health care that is such an issue. Absolutely. And we, we, walk, we walk that talk. So our executives and um, are all in executive wellness programs. And over the last three years, we've actually extended that to all of our employees. We have an annual biometric screening. Um, people who participate in that get a reduction in their annual health care premiums. We also give gifts this past year. We gave Oakley glasses. If you went and did your biometric screening last year, we gave sneakers. We have gyms at most of all of our facilities to try to make it easy for people um, to adhere to that. Um, so, again, you have to have the bite. You have to have the financial incentive. People save between 600 to to $1,000 a year if they participate in our wellness programs. Wow. Which is significant. It's huge. Right. Yeah. Well, you've inspired me and hopefully inspired our audience to think a little bit more in a disciplined way about what we eat and how we live our lives. But, Richard, it's been great to have you with us today and a wonderful kickoff to our Dean's Executive Leadership Series this year. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Well, and as promised, that was an interesting interview with uh, Richard Gudis. It was great having him with us, and he is a leader that uh, expresses his values in very important ways and had some really interesting experiences at Herbalife. So it was great having with him with us, sharing his insights and wisdoms with our audience. Well, uh, tell us what is up next in the series. Well, our next speaker, uh, who's coming in January, is Jerry Wilson, Senior Vice President of Coca-Cola Company. So obviously one of the most sort of well-known and successful international companies ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're very excited about having him with us. And we look forward to that. Well, let me invite our listeners to uh, visit our website if you want to learn more about Dells or the Graza D.O. School at bschool.pepperdine.edu slash Dells. That's D-E-L-S. And until next time, thanks for listening. True leaders inspire others around them to achieve. And leadership is a quality that we can help you develop and master. I'm Dr. Gary Mangifico. Associate Dean at Pepperdine University's Grazia Dio School of Business and Management. Our evening and weekend MBA program is designed exclusively for working professionals like you. Our curriculum, faculty, and highly collaborative learning environment stand ready to help you advance yourself and your career. And though our regional campuses are only a short distance from your home or your work, you'll travel further than you ever dreamed possible. Spring and summer semester applications are now being accepted for Pepperdine's evening and weekend MBA program at our Encino, Irvine, West L.A., Westlake Village graduate campuses, and our new Santa Barbara location. Call 800-933-3333. Pepperdine's Grazia Deal School of Business and Management. Master the leader in you.